Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Just bring your stuff. And yet so often that's not as easy to do as it is to say. Just bring your stuff. I recently read a story uh, on social media from somebody I know about her child, and this story kind of caught me off guard. You see, she was watching her child playing outside. Huh. Thanks, Alan. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, Apparently, yeah. So the story that I read caught me off guard. She was watching her child play outside. And if you have children or have been near children, you know playing outside doesn't always mean doing what you're supposed to. And this one child in particular was playing too close to the street. And one moment she saw him and saw a car drive by and the next moment she didn't see him anymore. So you can imagine her fear and anxiety and worry, where is my son? And she set out to look for him and proceeded to scour the yard. Every place outside, she thought she might find him. And she came to the only conclusion many of us parents might come to. My son is gone. Where could he be? And she kept looking and looking. And the more she looked, she couldn't find. And the more she couldn't find, the more afraid she was. What happened to my child? Thankfully, It all turned out okay. See, this little boy knew he wasn't supposed to be playing that close to the street. And as soon as that car drove by, he realized, I think I'm in trouble. And he did what most little children do. He ran and he hid. And the place that she later found him was behind their toilet. Of all the places to hide, that's where where he thought he'd be the safest. If you've ever had kids, you know that that moment of fear and panic when your child is hiding, but you also know the reality. There's going to come a point where your kids hide from you for one reason or another. Maybe they're trying to have fun. Maybe they're afraid. Maybe they're just playing and fell asleep in the most awkward of places, but your child is hiding. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't just stop with kids. When we grow up, many of us continue to be like kids in adult bodies and do kid things in different ways. Now, we don't normally hide behind the toilet, I hope, but we go on that first date and put on our best face and we try to act like we've got it all together. This is why oftentimes in couples, the longer you date, the more you realize that person isn't who you first thought they were. And sometimes this is a really bad thing, right? You begin to unpack the layers and you realize that person is a lot more selfish or self-centered than you ever imagined. Sometimes you begin to unpack things and you take off those masks 
and those things you tried to hide behind, the image you try to portray, and you find you're not the one you thought you were. And sometimes in relationships, that leaves people hurting. Now what? The one I thought I was marrying is not the one in front of me. Now what? See, when kids run and hide in fear behind toilets, we run and hide behind our job security, behind our image to the community. We run and hide behind our wealth or behind our status. We run and hide behind all these other things. But we still run and hide. In this series, we are talking about spiritual growth. And how you and I can begin to grow spiritually in our relationship with Jesus. How Jesus can begin to change not just our Sunday morning, but the rest of our life, the rest of our world, everything about who we are. Today, as we look at this truth of spiritual growth, it has to start here. We have to stop hiding. And I don't just mean from other people. You see, this idea of children running and hiding, it's not something new that this generation has come up with. No, it's been around since the beginning of sin and brokenness. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, when everything falls apart and all of the brokenness comes out, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, there they are in the garden and they do the very thing that they weren't supposed to do. That brings them pain. In fact, they see they're now naked and they want to cover it. See, when we sin and we do what we should not do and we don't believe in the promises God has made for us, when we pursue our own agenda, it reveals just how naked we really are. It might seem like a great place to hide for a time being, but eventually, eventually God shows up. God comes into our mess he says, what are you doing? This is what happens in Genesis chapter three. It says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, here's what's really crazy. In that very beginning, they could walk with God like you could walk with me together in the morning. There they were. They would be in that place of relationship face to face to see him for all of who he was and all of his love and all of his kindness and everything good about him. And now he comes to walk with them. Instead, they hide their nakedness and their shame, their guilt for what they've done wrong cause, causes a wedge between them and God. And they hide. I just don't know that we can be there anymore. I, I don't know that this good and perfect and loving God wants me here with him in this moment just yet. And this is what God does. But the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And, and I love this verse because here's an all-knowing God who knows everything, and yet he asks, where are you? Hey, Adam, I'm here. Where are you? See, God wasn't looking as if he didn't know. God was there to say, I want you to be with me. Where are you in this? Where are you? And then Adam responds with this. 
I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. See, even there, all the way in the beginning when sin and brokenness entered in, Adam wasn't able to go before this God who loves him perfectly for fear. I'm going to be in trouble. Bad things will happen. Your anger, your hatred, your rage will, will flare up. I can't be there now. Have you ever felt this way with God? God, I want to draw near to you, but what if that challenges the very things I hold dear? I want to draw near to you, but I don't think I'm worthy of it yet. I want to draw near to you, but first, let me take care of this mess. Adam, he hides himself because he sees that he's naked. All of his brokenness and all of his mess, all of his stuff was there exposed for the whole world to see. Now, if any one of us uh, had a camera in your house and somebody was watching you 24-7, there's a good chance that at the beginning of knowing that camera's there, like if it was a willing thing, not a hidden thing you found later, that'd be creepy and weird, that's not okay. But like if you willingly entered into this situation, right, and you knew that there was a camera watching you, would you change your behavior? I mean, I have to be honest, there are times when my kids drive me nuts. And the only thing I want for my children is for them to be quiet. But in this weird world we live in, the very thing that I want for my kids is the thing I'm most afraid of. Because when my kids are quiet, something else is happening. And when that something else happens, whatever that is, I'm not always the kind of guy I wish I would be. And so surely I believe that if I knew you were watching me, at some point I would try to clean my act up. And yet, you would eventually see me naked and exposed. Not physically, let's avoid that image. But very literally, you would see my anger and the hurtful things I say when I'm hurting. You would see the times when I want to dismiss my kids because I'm tired and I just want me time. When really what they need is just a little bit of their dad who loves them. You'd see the times when my wife and I bicker, oftentimes because I'm selfish and sinful. You see, enough time with others, you will begin to see that I am not the guy I want to be. And there's a lot that's worth hiding. Unfortunately, I think all the way from Adam and Eve until today and probably until Jesus returns, our response to brokenness is to hide. And the one we often hide from the most is the one who's most able to help us. The one who's most there and knows all of our vulnerability and all of our nakedness and all of our brokenness. The one who's actually able to do something about it. To clothe us and cover our shame. We run and we hide. If we want to grow spiritually, we have to start by recognizing who God is. See, ever since shame and sin entered in, ever since that time in the garden, there has been a struggle for mankind and a struggle of believing who God is versus who we think he is. 
who God is, is kind and gracious and loving and forgiving, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Who God is, is a father who cares for you. And yet who we perceive him to be is often a judge waiting for that time when we slip up. An angry dad who just wants his kids to be quiet. Stop it, you're driving me nuts. Figure it out yourself. We often perceive God to be this God who's only there for us sometimes. When we've got it all together and our life's not a mess, then this God is for us. As I was trying to figure out what to preach on today, what scripture to share with you, do you know how hard it is to find scripture in the Bible about a good, loving, gracious father? Not like hard as in the sense you can't find it, but it's all over the place. And to say, which one should we talk about? Because I figured you didn't want to be here till two in the afternoon. Where do we focus on this reality, God, that you're not against us, that you're for us? even with all of our stuff. I thought today would be good to look at a psalm. A song sung in the Old Testament describing all kinds of emotions. These psalms were songs that were sung to God, some of them really happy and joyful, and some of them really broken and painful, some of them from desperation. Are you even there, God? And some of them saying, you are everything, God. God. I thought we'd look at this Psalm 103. Feel free to go back and read the whole thing later, to to study this whole song. It's a beautiful psalm of this love of God. But I just want to share with you a few verses, beginning in verse 8. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. When you stop and think about God, when you stop and think of your picture of him before you pray, or in your time of need, or when your stuff gets too big, what comes to mind? The Lord is merciful and gracious. Is that the picture you have of a God who's for you? When you struggle with those habits of overeating and you don't know how to change your weight and you've tried every diet out there, do you turn to this merciful, gracious God who sees you not for a number on a scale, but as his child? When you find yourself struggling with broken relationships, is it the merciful God you turn to? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. I really like that he's slow to anger. It doesn't say he has no anger. Surely there are things that anger him. But he's really slow to get there, and his anger is very short-lived. But oftentimes I think we perceive God to be this God who's always angry. Yeah, I know Jesus loves me, but have you read the Old Testament? Like, I know Jesus loves me, but look at this list of my problems. If God loved me, why doesn't he do things the way I want him to or fix my mess the way I hoped he would? If God is who he says he is, why does my life look the way it looks? See, 
most of the time we think that if God is slow to anger, that must mean he's never angry. I'm going to come back here in a little bit to what makes him angry. But just keep in mind that this God slow to anger is abounding in steadfast love. It continues, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If you want to grow in your life and in your faith and you want Jesus to be more than your Sunday morning but you want him to be your Sunday evening and your Tuesday lunch and you want him to be every part of your day and your week and your life. Know this about him. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. See, we have to change our perspective of who this God is if we want to grow. He's not looking at you like, you dummy, why do you keep doing this? Or just sit silently for a little bit. Go away, I want me time. He's not sitting there waiting for you to screw up like, oh, there it is again, I knew this would happen. No, he doesn't hold our sins against us. In fact, as far as the east is from the west, he's removed them. If you want to grow in faith, you have to first start here. Is your God this God? Or is he the one that's just waiting for you to mess it up again? See, until we change our understanding of this God, of our God, and we see him for who he really is, this good father who loves us, who doesn't count our wrongs against us, until we see this God we have no place to run for safety, for comfort. Instead, in fear, we find ourselves hiding from him behind a mask of just being okay, acting like I've got it together, trying harder, doing better. Maybe this time it'll be right. Probably not. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That language of fearing God can be confused because when we fear, it's like that child hiding from his mother. We fear because we think a consequence, a punishment, something bad is coming. But the fear of the Lord is not believing he's just out to punish you it's not believing that he thinks bad of you. The fear of the Lord is this sense of awe and wonder at the very God who knows everything, who sees everything, who is in everything. And yet he has chosen you to be his child. This very God who knows all of your blemishes and all of your brokenness and all the things you wish nobody knew. This God wants you. And he doesn't just want you occasionally from time to time on the holidays or when it's convenient. This God wants you all the time. Constantly. To show you yet again how much he loves you. 
how much he's for you and not against you. This God, like a father, has compassion for you and for me. There are times when my kids screw up and in my sinfulness I act out in anger. And there are other times when my kids screw up and I can see that look in their eyes, oh no, now what? And they're waiting to be in trouble. And I just remind them, I love you, even when you disobey. Sometimes I can see that look in their eyes melt away of that fear of punishment to that sense of, oh, I have a good father. I'm rarely a good father. So I've got to cling to those moments when I am. But I thankfully know that we have a good father who's always gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in love. See, to grow in faith has to become about a God who's for you and not against you. As long as you hide from yourself and hide from your spouse and hide from the church and hide from God and believe that it's about just figuring it out this time or else God's going to be mad. You will never move from the place that you're at to a whole new place. But the problem is you've probably heard this message, this truth, this promise of a God who's for you a hundred times. We live in the South, so you might have even heard it a hundred times this week. And sometimes we hear this message so often that it doesn't actually move who we are to respond. I know God loves me, so what? Why do I still feel the way I feel? I know God loves me, but I just can't seem to shake that habit. I know God loves me, but... And we just dismiss his love for us. So if we want to grow, how do we begin to change our perspective to hide from God less, to see who he really is and how much he really loves? How do we begin to take this knowledge that we know here to begin to change what we feel here? Because when it changes what we feel here, it begins to change what we do out here. How does this happen? Well, in Romans, there's two promises. The first comes in chapter eight. After the, the, the setup and the buildup of the reality of the law, doing the right thing, honoring God, being the way he made us to be, after this reality that we will always fail. But Christ has set us free. After that comes this beautiful promise. It says this in verse, chapter eight. There is therefore... Now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. See, for this reality of God's love to take hold in our heart, it has to begin with this reality that there is no condemnation if you're in Christ. Condemnation, shame and accusation, guilty, condemnation awaiting sentencing. If you are in Christ, it doesn't matter how messy or broken or sinful your world is right now, there's no condemnation. If you're in him, there's no condemnation. For this reality of a loving God to sink in, we have to sit and focus and meditate on this promise. You are not your sin doesn't define you. 
It doesn't determine your future. It doesn't determine your present. It only determines where you've been and how great our God is that he'd bring you from there to where he's taking you. There is no condemnation in him, period. It's not there's no condemnation once you get out of that sin. It's not there's no condemnation once things change in your life. It's not there's no condemnation as long as nobody knows about your sin. No, there's no condemnation, period, exclamation point. You are free, free to be loved, free to be cared about, free to have somebody else accept you exactly as you are. I want to tell you about a friend of mine, a man named Gary. And I don't know if Gary live streams from time to time or not. If he does, I'm sorry for stealing your picture and not telling you. I, I ask forgiveness. This is Gary. Gary's a friend of mine who I haven't spoken to in person in years. But he was on my mind this week, so I reached out to him and just said, hey, thank you for being you. And immediately he responded with this long thing like, hey, how are you? How are you doing? You see, Gary and I met several years ago uh, in 2011, actually. I was going through a season in my life where my sinfulness was greater than anything I knew how to handle. It was, for me, rock bottom, and I didn't know how to change the habits that were creating unhealthy, hurtful relationships. And I didn't know how to break that cycle. And after a lot of fear, I went forward to my pastor and said, I need help. My pastor said, I have just the guy for you. Let me introduce you to Gary. And in my early 20s, going to meet with a guy who was in his 60s on a weekly basis at first felt really weird. Like, what am I doing here? Why do you think I just need to meet Gary? There wasn't an agenda set. It was just, you need to meet Gary, and you need to be with Gary. And you need to do so every week. And so Gary and I met. And Gary is the most kind-hearted, soft-spoken person I know. And he just asked me questions about my life. And Gary, when he found things in my answers that he could tell I wasn't telling the whole truth, he would call me out on it. Say, Adam, is that it? Sounds like there's something more there. And he would just lovingly and kindly call me to share more. And I began to share all kinds of hurt and pain and fear, specifically one fear in particular that I didn't even know I was dealing with. The fear of not being accepted. Have you ever had that fear? Like if I'm not enough, they're not going to love me and then I'll be out. This fear of mine stemmed from childhood trauma that he's not a counselor or a therapist. It's not like he dragged that out of me. I just, I knew the trauma, but I thought I'd moved past it. And in talking to me and in loving me, Carrie just helped me to see. Because I was afraid of not being accepted, I was pursuing all these unhealthy relationships that were just creating the very thing I was afraid of. Gary didn't have professional knowledge. He wasn't an expert in any capacity. But here's what Gary had that I needed. Gary had an understanding of a father who'd walked through him through all kinds of pain and brokenness. And I don't mean an earthly father, but a heavenly father who had seen Gary in his life walk through a lot of pain and a lot of brokenness and a lot of unhealthiness in his relationships. 
And this father cared enough about him to bring him out of that place into someplace new. So what Gary had to offer me was this love of a God who loves him fully, who would give everything for him. And Gary just freely gave that. And every time we met, he accepted me exactly as I was. Our culture sometimes thinks that acceptance means agreement. Gary didn't agree with a lot of the things I was doing. And he oftentimes didn't even agree with the things I was saying. But he accepted me. He said, Adam, I will love you no matter what you share. No matter how broken you are, I will love you because I have a father who loves me. And he loves you too. It's about six or seven months where Gary and I met every single week. And then Gary moved to Idaho, which was unfortunate for me, but really good for him and his family. And you know what? Almost a decade later, when I need to be reminded that I'm loved, I can think about Gary. I can reach out to Gary, and even though we haven't talked much in the last nine years, I know that Gary will be there because he loves me. There's another verse in Romans I want to share with you, Romans chapter 15. And this one I chose to share from the New International Version, the NIV, because I really like the way this is translated. And there's a couple other versions that translate it this way as well. Uh, The ESV talks about being welcomed, but I I like this. It says this, accept one another, then just as Christ has accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Look, if we want to grow in our understanding of this God who loves us, we need to be loved. And the only way we can be loved is in a relationship with somebody who will accept us, even with all of our flaws and all of our brokenness, somebody who will say, I care for you, even when I don't agree with the things you're saying or the things you're doing. I care about you. Paul, he's concluding his letter in the the book of Romans, this letter about the freedom and the hope that we have in Christ, how Christ has done it all. We are forgiven and there's no condemnation. He says, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. See, church, I believe that if we are struggling to see God as a loving God for us, it's because we need people in our life who aren't struggling with that at the moment. We need people in our life who will say, I love you and accept you exactly the way you are. And I love you and accept you way too much to let you stay there. So let me walk with you in this journey. Let me show you the God who loves you over and over and over again that when you expect to be condemned, said, let me just give you grace and mercy and forgiveness. See, I said God is angry and I'd come back to what angers God. And I'll tell you the thing that angers him the most. Being disconnected from you. Being separated from his children. Not having you and me in a relationship with him where he is everything. That angers him more than anything you've ever done. And our God has in his love and grace and mercy not counted our sins against us. No, in fact, he has given his own son to free us, to save us, that his son would bear your shame and we would be brought close to God.
We have a God who does get angry, but he's not angry with you today. He's not angry at you. He's angry at the distance between you and him. He's already done everything to close that gap. I think, church, if we want to grow in faith, we need to not only be the people who accept others, but we need to be the people who see the God who accepts us, just as we are with all of our stuff and all of our shame and all of our nakedness and all of our desire to hide. We need to see that God first and foremost. So I want to end with this. Who needs you to be Gary to them? See, oftentimes we want to think about how I need to be fed. I need somebody to be Gary to me, to pour into me. But often, most often, growth happens when we're the one who gives to others. So who in your world needs you to be Gary to them? To love them in spite of all their mess? To care about them in the midst of their pain? Who do you need to be that one that can show the love of this father to somebody who doesn't know a God who's for them and not against them? After those meetings, Gary has multiple times said to me, Adam, I learned more from you than I think I ever gave to you. And I don't know what that means because I literally don't know a single thing I would have taught him. But somehow in that mutual loving and accepting and open honesty, not hiding any longer, our shame and our nakedness doesn't just get covered up. It goes away. And we find that we're a whole new person because of that love. This is my prayer for you, for me, and my hope that we can be a people, a church filled with Gary's, going out and loving and accepting, not always agreeing, but always being there to show this God and this Father. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are good and gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You don't want us to run and hide in crappy places. God, you want us to run into your arms. Help us today to see you as this good father. To trust you as a God who's for us and not against us. When the lies of the enemy come against us and we believe those words that say you are not enough, those accusations and that condemnation, God, would you speak a better word that you desperately desire all of us, that you have given all of yourself, that you can have us, that we can have you. And God, as we have been accepted by you, may we accept and love those who are hurting and broken in all of their stuff that your love might shine in us and through us and transform not only us, but the people that you've brought near. God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person 
every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., we pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. 